Welcome to the CSIS Podcast. I'm Colin Quinn. This week, we take another look at the South China Sea, an area we've touched on before, especially when it comes to China's island building. Well, this week, an international court in The Hague ruled against China's claims there, effectively invalidating its activities, as well as dealing a major blow to China's prestige on the world stage. China did not participate in the case brought by the Philippines, believing it illegitimate. So it's not surprising that China lost. But the scope of the court's decision was a shock to many, as Greg Poling, director of the CSIS Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative, explains. I think the over-under was Philippines wins somewhere between 8 and 12 of the 15 points. Everybody knew they were going to win. Uh, it was just a matter of, of how much. I don't think anybody thought they were going to win 14 and a quarter of the 15, which is what they got. Uh, the court only ruled that it couldn't, it didn't have jurisdiction on a few pieces of one question. Um, that was the three quarters? Yeah, that, so that was, uh, it said that because China has uh, an optional exemption to arbitration over military activities, uh, it couldn't rule on this blockade they had put on Second Thomas Shoal, uh, the, the submerged feature where the Philippines has eight Marines uh, posted. But other than that, everything went Manila's way. And, and each of those I found entirely compelling. I, I have no objections to the ruling. I didn't find anything surprising about the legal interpretation. I just found it surprising that the court uh, found the chutzpah to go that far on every point. And is that because China just didn't turn up? that it was always going to go Manila's way? I think it was going Manila's way whether China showed up or not. Um, that's one of those, uh, you know, red herrings or straw men that, that, that gets set up. But the fact is that because China wasn't in the room, the five judges had a responsibility to act as China's advocate. Uh, you know, they have a responsibility to make a fair and balanced ruling. That means that they looked at every piece of publicly available information they could find to try and think up the arguments against Manila's claims. When you look at the transcripts of the uh, oral hearings that were public and when you look at the original uh, ruling on jurisdiction from late last year, it's clear that they were asking in Manila all the things that you could imagine a Chinese advocate would have in the courtroom, and they still found nothing uh, to, to explain how these vaguely defined historic rights and maritime claims stand up to scrutiny. And, you know, even though the court tried and tried to make it impartial, tried to make it balanced, what's the likelihood that, and it's the big question I guess everyone's asking, what's the likelihood that China is actually going to abide by any of this? Tomorrow, zero. Um, the question is, will they do it five years from now, 10 years from now, who knows? Um, you know, the only thing that enforces international law is uh, the weight of international opinion. You know, there, no, no court uh, internationally has a police force that's going to kick in your door and force you to comply. And yet the overwhelming majority of arbitration cases for the last century have been abided by, by powers great and small. And even when they haven't, um, like the U.S. with uh, the International Court of Justice in the 1980s regarding its support for Contra rebels in Nicaragua, or like Russia uh, before the Permanent Court of Arbitration uh, for its uh, seizure of, of the Arctic Sunrise, this Greenpeace ship, uh, the countries have still found a way to make a political deal that basically brings them into accord with the ruling without ever admitting that's what they're doing. One of the big questions then is, you know, we've been seeing for, for I think almost two years now, this ramped up island building that's been happening on these disputed uh, reefs and shoals and rocks. What happens to them now? Nothing. I mean, you can't, you can't 
put the genie back in the bottle. The islands are built. The court did rule that the environmental destruction China did was in clear violation of UNCLOSE. Um, that's a bit of reputational damage, but they can't go back in time and, and bring those coral back to life. Uh, it certainly adds some extra pressure for China not to do the same at Scarborough Shoal or any other reef that it doesn't currently occupy. Uh, in one case, Mischief Reef, which is now the largest of the features that China's uh, built an artificial island on, the court did rule that uh, that feature, because it was underwater at high tide before the construction, and because it's so far from any other feature that it can't fall within anything else's territorial sea, that it is clearly just a piece of the seabed, and that seabed belongs to Manila. So what they basically were saying is that the original occupation of that island by China in 1995 was illegal. But again, you can't go back in time and unbuild that outpost, and you certainly can't go back in time and dump you know, put the 3,200 acres worth of sand back into the ocean. And so in an ideal world where the ruling is abided by, does that mean China leave, that Manila moves in? I just don't understand how, like you said, you can't put the genie back, back in the bottle. So how is China supposed to abide by this? Mostly the court wants China to stop uh, any future harassment of Philippine fishermen, any future harassment of oil and gas ships from other countries. It wants it to frame its claims in future based on the islands or the rocks, as they were declared, and on its own coastline, not on vague historic rights in the Nine-Dash Line. It's interesting that on the question of what else, what is the court actually ordering China to do, the judges ruled unanimously that at this time they're not requesting any additional action from China because they believe that China did not act in bad faith, but out of an honest misinterpretation of UNCLOS. Now, that I doubt that that's actually what they believe, but it's a, it's a diplomatic nicety, uh, offering a bit of an olive branch to China, saying we don't think any of this was intentional, just do better in future. Right, so it gives them room to move. It does. So there's no slap on the wrist. There's no uh, you know compensation ordered, which is always a big sticking point. That's what really got... The U.S. prevented the U.S. from from fully complying with the ICJ case that uh, went against the Reagan administration. Compensation says I did something wrong. If you if you keep that off the table, maybe countries can find a way to come into compliance without ever admitting that they're doing it because of the court. They can always say this is because of our own domestic legislation. Considering they they did try to to have this olive branch, we've seen the Chinese reaction. We even had the ambassador to the U.S. from China here on Tuesday. Do you think that China is in any way going to actually admit that they need to change what they're doing? In the absence of sustained widespread international pressure, China has no reason to abide by it. Um, if, if what comes out of this is a week or two of noise out of Tokyo and Washington and Canberra uh, and nothing else, then no, China won't abide. But if Manila and like-minded states can keep this on the international agenda and keep a very big coalition of countries demanding that China abide by the ruling, then that begins to build up real costs. You know, it, it begins to undermine China's larger narrative that it's a good guy. It's a different kind of rising power. You have nothing to fear from it because it follows all the rules. And those come with additional costs. Countries, if you've already violated one law or one treaty, countries are less likely to believe your other commitments. Um, that's a long-term game. Nothing changes tomorrow or in 2017. In the short to medium term, this is probably going to escalate tensions as China seeks to lash out and show the world that it's not going to be bound by the ruling. But the real game is the one that takes place over the next five years. 
And you've been tracking this. You've been tracking with the Asian Maritime Transparency Initiative. Who is backing China? Who has who's backing the the ruling? Uh, who's kind of on the fence? Do you see there? Do you see a broad coalition coming together? There was already a pretty broad coalition going in. So um, you had forty countries at last count who had before the ruling uh, issued statements or signed on to statements saying that it would be uh, whatever it was would be legal and binding on both countries. And that included, uh, obviously, the Philippines, but Vietnam, the U.S., Japan, Australia, the whole, all, all 20 members of the European Union, and others. And then you had 10 countries lined up with China, um, heavyweights like Papua New Guinea and Lesotho, and a whole bunch of countries, everybody else, somewhere in the middle, keeping quiet, keeping their heads down. Nothing has changed in the last 24 hours. Um, with very few, you know, so the U.S., Japan, both came out, as did uh, Australia, uh, come out and say the ruling's binding. Philippines welcomed it, hasn't yet called on China to uh, abide by it, but has said that they'll make a statement over the weekend. Um, others like Thailand and Singapore have said statements that uh, read like they're supporting the case. They say that they expect all countries to uh, resolve their disputes according to the law, but they don't actually say the words China should abide by it. Um, but it's, it's still early. I think uh, if the Philippines is successful in getting a few you know, big countries, a few heavyweights to weigh in, then you build up a snowball effect. But I see no evidence that China's swaying anybody to its side. The only country other than China who's lambasted the ruling was Taiwan. Um, and Taiwan came out swinging, uh, saying that, that the court's ruling that uh, Ituaba, which is the feature they occupy, is, is not a rock. Uh, Taipei came out and said that that is a gross violation of its sovereignty and it won't abide by the ruling. I want to know what the U.S. is thinking. Is it a case that they twist the knife and start running all these freedom of navigation operations around all these islands, or is it is more of a delicate situation? I think it matters uh, what China does. So the administration, the Obama administration, has developed a long-term strategy that I think is going to be consistent regardless. That strategy is built around trying to convince China to change its ways. So that is uh, that part of that strategy is why we supported the case, trying to name and shame and Things like freedom of navigation operations are part of that because they shine a light on the excessiveness of China's claims. This ruling will probably help frame future FONOPs, as they're called. won't necessarily lead to a higher tempo. I think you'll still see one every quarter or so, probably not more frequently than that. Um, but whether or not more happens in the short term depends on whether or not China tries to engage in some kind of escalation on the water, so to speak, that needs to be deterred. You know, I think what's interesting is the ruling was, in a sense, it, it uh, limited the scope for compromise in some ways because the court struck out everything except for territorial seas. It told China that it has no claims, maritime claims, in the South China Sea or in the Spratleys other than a few dozen maybe small bubbles, 12, mile sea, uh, 12 nautical mile bubbles. And that really limits the carrots that the Philippines can offer now because it can't offer something like joint oil and gas development at Reed Bank, which is the major field it wants to explore, because Reed Bank is now entirely on undisputed Philippine candidate shelf. And if a president of the Philippines, just like a president of any other country, tried to go out and say, well, yeah, it's ours, but I'm going to give China half of it anyway, they would be lambasted in the press. Uh, but it also opened up some possibilities. I mean, the court said that China had violated the rights of Filipino fishermen, traditional fishermen, by blocking them from access to Scarborough Shoal, which is the disputed feature that China sees in 2012. But it also said it would have ruled the same way 
had it been Chinese uh, fishermen blocked by Philippine authorities, which means that the court is kind of preemptively endorsing some kind of uh, agreement for sharing access to, to Scarborough Shoal. So there are still carrots to be offered. Um, I'm not sure Beijing's willing to listen to any offer right now, but perhaps once it cools down a bit. Uh, but the Philippines is going to have to get a little more creative now because the scope of any future compromise has really been narrowed. And that was Greg Poling bringing us to the end of this week's show. We'll be back with more next week. So until then, thanks for listening.